0: It seems to me that we have an obligation to demonstrate that we have skin in the game. If if we want to continue to be a leader on these issues, first it's important because it communicates uh, this critical commitment to burden sharing. Turkey is hosting more than 2 million Syrian refugees, Lebanon more than a million, Jordan's numbers are estimated in the order of about 650,000. If we're asking them and if we're asking our European friends and allies to uh, take on responsibilities, um, our failure to do so won't only only be perceived as an expression of hypocrisy, but also diminished leadership. The battle against ISIS is a worldwide effort in which ISIS and its use of social media, and other means of communication. They offer this apocalyptic vision of conflict that rejects any notion of the compatibility of Islam and other traditions. The United States has welcomed persecuted Muslims from around the world in our refugee
1: resettlement program. It's a highly effective rebuke of this preposterous ISIS notion. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is The Lawfare Podcast, April 9th, 2016. That is the voice of Eric Schwartz, explaining why the United States has an interest in alleviating the Syrian refugee crisis. Schwartz is the dean of the Hubert H. Humphrey School of Public Affairs at the University of Minnesota. He previously served as U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Population, Refugees, and Migration. In our conversation, he sketched the key aspects of U.S. refugee policy, and explained how it both protects the security of the United States and at times undermines its ability to accept refugees. Schwartz outlines what a coherent refugee policy would look like and argues that the reforms must go beyond simply accepting more refugees. It's The Lawfare Podcast, Episode 165, Eric Schwartz Refugee Policy and the Syrian Civil War.
2: Alright, so let's start with your involvement in this area. We've had a lot of discussion on the site about Refugees and Syrian refugees in particular, and the political and uh, security dimensions of, of that conversation.
1: We've had almost none of it uh,
2: from people Our who have
1: sort of direct
2: experience again. in the refugee admission process. So well, let's start by just just giving us some Think background on who you are relative Facebook, to this conversation.
1: Instagram uh, well, pictures uh, my of my name yourself George listening to the Lawfare podcast. Do whatever you need to do, and as always.
0: Thanks for listening. Um, but uh, uh, for better or, re- or worse, I probably had as much experience as a practitioner uh, at a senior level as as um, uh, as most uh, anyone um, uh, in the refugee admissions area um, during the um, uh, during the Clinton administration between 1993 and 2000. I uh, ultimately served as a Senior Director and Special Assistant to the President uh, for uh, Multilateral Humanitarian Affairs, but throughout that eight-year period, I was the Principal uh, National Security Staff Member with responsibility for the U.S. Uh, refugee uh, Program and um, International Humanitarian Response more broadly. Um, more um, recently. Uh, in the first part of the Obama administration, I served as Assistant Secretary of State uh, for Population, Refugees, and Migration, which is um, the, not only the principal humanitarian uh, officer at the Department of State, but also uh, the person with responsibility uh, for um, the uh, U.S. Refugee Admissions uh, Program. I also had other uh, positions in the NGO and uh, community and uh, with the united nations where i also dealt with these issues um uh in in one way or another but but those two experiences in the government are probably my principal um uh, involvement
2: so when you talk about us and refugee admissions you hear two things all the time one is that you know uh we take a lot of refugees um and we're the sort of world leader in refugee resettlement. And the second thing is we've taken almost no Syrian refugees. We're way behind the Europeans. Um, and, um, that there's something sort of morally deficient about our posture with respect to, uh, the current crisis. So I, I'm wondering if you can st- sort of unpack this a little bit and describe as a general matter the U.S. posture toward refugees both in general and in this uh, particular conflict.
0: Well, um, you know, uh, there's more than a germ of truth in each one of those uh, apparently uh, conflicting statements, Uh, so I think unpacking it is very important. Uh, First, um, when we talk about... um, um, uh, refugees we're we're talking uh, refugees uh the, the definition of refugee is a person who is uh, outside uh, uh their country of or- origin and has uh, a well-founded fear of uh persecution um, um, and um and and that is an internationally defined uh term and um and uh, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn 't require in, in a, sort of in, in, a, in an existential sense it doesn 't require um, a government to designate you as a refugee if they, if that is the definition you fit then you 're a refugee and um, governments have processes that recognize that status and there, and thereby confer benefits and in the United States. There are really two ways that people become refugees. There is the through the U.S. Um, or, or there, there are two ways that people become recognized as re- refugees. There is the U.S. Refugee Resettlement Program, um, the latest iteration of which um, uh, was authorized by the 1980 um, Refugee Act. Um, and um, under that program, uh, which uh, when we talk about refugee resettlement, that's really what we're generally talking about. Uh, each year, the President of the United States, uh, uh, based on recommendations from the Department of State, uh, makes a judgment about how many refugees uh, the United States is prepared to take in, usually from countries um, where they are um, uh, in, in some sort of safe haven, from countries to which they have fled. And that's why the term is often uh, referred to as third country resettlement, because a refugee, in, uh, an individual in Somalia flees uh, to Kenya, and that's where he or she receives safe haven, and then um, is resettled uh, through essentially a discretionary process by the United States uh, into um, uh, the United States, and that's referred to as third country resettlement. In recent years, that has been done by U.S. officials in in closer collaboration with the United Nations High Commissioner uh, for Refugees. Now, to be sure, uh, worldwide, um, the United States resettles Through these kinds of uh, essentially discretionary programs, a very high percentage, perhaps more than half, of the world's refugees who are resettled through these kinds of programs. In recent years, the United States has resettled about 70,000 a year through these processes. Um, and um, and and so we can take pride in the fact that we are the, um, uh, w- that we do such a high percentage of this resettlement per capita. We are not the top; other governments um, um, uh, uh, do more. But nonetheless, and and uh, we probably resettle, uh, you know, on the order of half of all those who are resettled through that process. But the other way that people uh, become recognized as refugees is they simply cross borders. And, uh, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people who are entering, uh, Europe, um, are not entering through these kinds of refugee resettlement programs. But, but, but the, the vast majority of them will be deemed to be refugees, right? So, so, um, and we, um, and, and in the case of the Syrians, uh, we, uh, and others who, uh, uh, Afghanis and other populations that are crossing into Europe, um, when we say we resettle, Half of the world's refugees we're not including those groups of people um, because that is that's really through the system of of asylum and it's a much more unmanaged system but it also results in refugee resettlement so that's you know so that's 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 the framework that's the, you know that, 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 that that's that's the frame now um, sh- should I answer the second part of your question because I, I heard you, you it, it sounds like you have no a, no go uh, ahead
2: go ahead okay
0: Um so um so, in the Syria case, um you know Syrians are not crossing um, our southern borders in large numbers and um and so, if we don't uh, take a um, political decision to resettle large numbers of Syrians, then large numbers of Syrians won't be uh, resettled in the United states and many of us myself included, um, have uh, strongly argued that uh, the United States has um a both a strategic interest and a humanitarian interest in um resettling much larger numbers of Syrians than we have been prepared to date uh to resettle and uh, um and um you know and and we can talk about that i i'd be happy to talk about why i think this is very important both for uh, strategic reasons as well as uh, for humanitarian reasons
2: so let's we'll get to that in a moment but i want to I wanna unpack one element of what you just said. So when, when, when you say that Syrians aren't crossing the southern border, uh, is, it, is it fair as a general matter to say that the U.S. posture toward refugees is that because we don't have refugee crises leading to people flowing into, onto our shores or across our borders, uh, organically except, you know, except occasional waves of, of Cubans or Haitians. Um, we have the luxury of sort of deciding what are the groups that we want to take and so we tend to do it in a sort of more relaxed long-term way as long-term resettlement rather than sort of short-term crisis management. Is that, a, is, is that the sort of tectonic plate level of, of the way the U.S. thinks about refugees, or is that just sort of reading a lot into?
0: Well, there's something to that, but I, I would make a couple of points. There's something to that point, but I would make a couple of points. First of all, um, we have demonstrated in the past some capacity to deal with more uh, emergency-like uh, situations, uh, we don't seem to ha- um, have dem- we we have not demonstrated that capacity, um, you know, in the current situation. But um, in the case of um, Indochinese refugees um, fleeing after the war, in the case of um, uh, Kosovars, um, uh, in the case of Kurds who were uh, fleeing uh, northern Iraq uh, in the mid 1990s, we we have um, uh, demonstrated a capacity to move quickly and um, provide in the first instance some degree of refuge and in the second instance, resettlement in situations that were more emergency-like. But I think your, your, your basic comment, which is that the U.S. Refugee Resettlement Program is not fundamentally a rescue program, is probably accurate. My concern is I think we ought to have at least some better capacity to act more quickly and in uh, emergent situations for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and I think um, the other point I would make is we do have – um uh a uh, um, uh, refugees crossing our border issue in the United States our southern border with respect to um uh, uh central americans and right. um and and that's an issue which um is uh you know which we also have not demonstrated a a, a terrific uh, capacity uh to deal with um both effectively and in as humane a manner as we could so i don't want to pretend that that those sorts of issues don't exist for us um, the only other point I would make is, and the obvious, yes, that, that the U.S. Resettle, refugee Resettlement Program and other countries, third country resettlement program programs, are, um, are in large measure designed to address uh, issues of protracted refugee situations that have existed over many years, um with an understanding that refugee resettlement is only going to be a solution for a tiny percentage of the world's refugees under the best of circumstances
2: so one of the other things that we hear you know, both sides of on a regular basis. And this one strikes me as a circle that can't be squared, not a circle like the the one we started with that actually has elements of truth to both. You hear simultaneously there's a big security threat from refugees, and refugees are vetted at a level that's completely unlike uh, visa admissions, um you know, and therefore we should consider there being very limited or virtually no security threat from Syrian refugees. I'm not, I, I don't see honestly how to square that circle. Is there elements of truth to both of these or is one side simply wrong?
0: Well, let me draw from, if I may, um, and I want to, because I want to avoid any <laughs> accusation of plagiarizing myself, let me draw from testimony that I offered, um, uh, if I might, at uh, uh, the Hol- Homeland Security uh, Committee uh, back in November, and, and where I where I addressed this issue uh, quite explicitly. Um, you know, I think the real question is what 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 question should we be asking about uh, refugee resettlement, right? And I think it's a critically the security issue is a critically important one, but I also think the wrong question will result in policy, you know, outcomes that don't serve our interests. And and so I think we, in, in a certain way, I think we, uh, it's worth thinking about the question we shouldn't be asking, which is whether the Syrian Refugee Resettlement Program, um, or, you know, for that matter, any refugee uh, resettlement or even immigration program can guarantee against admission of an individual who has very bad intent. And and the the, the 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 short of it is no program can do that uh, you know if you want to put this issue in perspective since um 2013 um uh or as of uh, 2013 there were about 40 more than 40 million immigrants in the united states um and um um, uh, um and between 2010 and 2013 about 4 million uh, people entered our country to establish residence of one kind or another. And almost none of these individuals, I would, I would even say none of these individuals, received anything like the scrutiny that's given to a refugee applicant from Syria.
2: Okay, and- so let me, let, let, me, let me stop you right there and ask the question, why not? So, like, you know, w- w- why... W- why are refugees screened at a level that's so far and above what we do for other people who are coming here for residency purposes?
0: Oh, I thought you were going to ask a different question, which I also think is, is – and, and let, me get to your, let me get to the question you've just asked, but let me also get to the question that, um, that, um, that you didn't ask, but I think is a very legitimate question, is why do we let all these people in? right i mean why, why do we let all these people in and the answer is 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 one is, is, is unwell, so obvious that you don 't you know you, you wonder why it has to be asked, but it, it 's asked and the answer is because the, overwhel- the, the benefits uh, to this kind of immigration is have have been so overwhelmingly positive and have been so and have so overwhelmingly dwarfed what the the, the um, you know the risks that are incurred when anyone comes into your country, the United States would not be the United States if we did not have the kind of immigration through um the nineteenth and twentieth century that have that that sort of created um the, the 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 vibrant economic dynamic society that we have and it would and it's just it would not have been possible to run every single immigrant coming into the United States through the, 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 you know, the, the kind of um, you know, procedures that some members of the House several months ago were advocating. It, it's just, it wouldn't have happened. Right? So, so right. the answer is self-evident. So now let me get to your
2: question. right? right so, my question is the converse right, of that. question is G- the converse. Given, given how lax our general, and that's just the residency stuff, then yeah. there's the, the, the non-residency visas of students and, and, and tourists, We let people in with it's not no questions asked, but it's relatively few questions asked for for a lot of types of visas. Why do we why why are refugees presumptively so different that they go through this two to three year vetting process um, before we let them in?
0: Well, um, I I, we can discuss Ben whether this this um, you know whether what is needed in this kind of vetting process but but i i think it's it's not unreasonable um to um you know to to say that individuals who are fleeing uh, situations of uh, conflict um which are um in 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 circumstances where it may be more difficult to 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 have um um easy access to uh, a lot of biographical data. It's not unreasonable to take the position that that, um, that 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 such people who come into the United States, you know, it's legitimate for us uh, to um, uh, you know to uh, to to put in systems that provide um, you know some additional scrutiny. I, I, I think in principle. That is a reasonable position. It's and and I think the tough question is how much. (laughs) The the, you know what procedures are appropriate, what procedures are redundant, what procedures are unnecessary, and those are legitimate questions. But I I don't. I think it's reasonable to you know to to say in 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 in, given the circumstances, um, you know that, that that that. that these populations groups have encountered, it, it's reasonable, uh, you know, to look at, 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 at some, some higher degree of scrutiny. I, 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 can't, I can't object to that, and, and, and I don't think most reasonable people would object to that. The question is how much, and the question is are our procedures, you know, just so turgid And um, and so under resourced um, that uh, we're doing these people um, uh, an injustice. To me, that's to me that's the real uh, policy and program question.
2: So, and and what's the answer to that question? In in your experience, is the vetting that we're doing through this process, uh, as most members of Congress seem to believe, insufficiently rigorous, and as the FBI has complained? you know, they don't feel like they can do an adequate vet for some of these people based on the information available. Is it approximately the right amount of rigorous and rigor, and therefore we should just accept that – Unless we decide to take extra, a lot of extra risk by doing a sort of major surge in refugee admissions with lesser vetting, uh, we're, it's gonna take a while for us to admit people. Or is, or is it, you know, is it, is it too rigorous? Um, I think
0: that, um, um, uh, well, let, let me first say uh, I am. Uh, I think it is a it, the 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 screening the security screening right now. The, the processes um, um, are um, uh, they, they provide a robust degree of safeguards that more than justify the continuation of these programs. So I've answered one side of your question, and and that is you know because these reviews. Um, and and obviously, if I were in the government now, I would have much more knowledge about this, but I probably could say much less about it. Right. Um, but it involves reviews by you know federal intelligence, security, law enforcement agencies, the National Counterterrorism uh, Center, the FBI Terrorist Screening Center, the Departments of Homeland Security, State, and Defense, biometric uh, data, biographical data, detailed interviews by DHS officers um um so uh, you know and and um <laughs> and i and i would urge all of our, uh, of the listeners to 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 look at a uh, a video by uh, uh, john oliver on this subject it was hilarious but also a great lesson in public policy and um and he describes some of these and um and um and they they really are quite quite extensive now can the process be speeded up um, i think that there are um, a range of non security related redundancies in the process that could be eliminated and a number of non governmental organizations have written about those redundancies um, or have expressed concern about those uh, redundancies Hayas, uh, the um uh the Jewish uh, Communities uh, Refugee um, Advocacy Organization has done a good study of this, and so I think some of those redundancies could speed the process, uh, reducing them could speed the process up. Um, and I, um, but I, I think, um, I, I think that uh, we, uh, given the security screening procedures, I think our capacity to bring in large numbers of people in a very short period of time is going to be um, inevitably limited, inevitably limited. And for that reason, you know, I think we have to look at other, you know, other options if we're thinking about trying to take responsibility for large numbers of Syrian refugees, as I think we should.
2: And what, how do you evaluate what the right Large number is. I mean, when when I y- y- you know peop, Obama threw out the number, we're going to take an, an additional ten thousand, and the um, and the High Commissioner for Refugees said, you know, no, it should be. I, I think they used the number sixty thousand, right? Um, and. Like, people keep throwing, or, or, or somebody, uh, some entity threw out the number, 100,000. So, you know, there's this sort of, people f- are throwing around these very big, very round numbers, and I don't really understand where any of them comes from. Um, and And so I'm curious, how do you think about the question, what's the right number for the U.S. to admit?
0: Well, that's a great question, and I think before answering the question, I think you really have to think about what are our geopolitical and humanitarian uh, interests in the program, um, and um, um, uh, you know I think um, you know I think uh, I, I think that's the first question to answer because that that question drives uh, at least informs a judgment about how many people we ought to be resettling, and I, I think with with um, Europe um, being asked to provide humane treatment. For hundreds of thousands of Syrians who continue to stream in, with um, with um, uh, countries in the region being asked to provide um, not only safe haven, but now things like employment opportunities, uh, school opportunities for children, all of which they should be providing, uh, but with you know for for well over four million refugees. It seems to me that we have an obligation to demonstrate that we have skin in the game if if we want to continue to be a leader on these issues and and so why is that important first it 's important because it communicates uh, this critical commitment to burden she- burden sharing Turkey's hosting more than two million syrian refugees lebanon more than a million jordan 's numbers are estimated in the order of about six hundred and fifty thousand. Um, if we 're asking them and if we 're asking our European friends and allies um, to, um, to 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 uh, take on responsibilities, um, our failure to do so won 't only, only be perceived as an expression of hypocrisy but also diminished leadership. I think also we have to recognize that the battle against ISIS is a worldwide effort in which ISIS and its use of social media and other means of communication. They offer this apocalyptic vision of conflict that rejects any notion of the compatibility of Islam and other traditions. So when we have people in our political political leaders um, you know, talk about, and, and we, the United States, has welcomed persecuted Muslims from around the world in our refugee resettlement program. It's a highly effective rebuke of this preposterous ISIS notion. But when we impose these bars or unreasonable obstacles to the entry of particular groups, We risk playing right into the narrative that um, that we're trying to combat around the world. So, 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 so that all drives me to the belief that we ought to make a significant and substantial commitment on refugee resettlement. It's why I was pleased to have initiated a letter um, that was signed by 22 former U.S. officials, uh, Republicans, Democrats, former Foreign Service officers, urging not only a substantial increase. In all levels of humanitarian aid, but to support a refugee admissions goal of 100,000 Syrians, and there are lots of ways we could have done that. Now, is that an arbitrary number? Not completely, um, not completely, um, but um, but could the number, you know, uh, but but I think we felt that 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 would represent it would represent a tiny percentage uh, or a small percentage of the numbers of Syrians who might be in need of resettlement, but um, but it would represent. Um, uh, um, a fair share effort on the part of the United States that would communicate meaningfully
2: that we have skin in the game. So I hear millions of Trump supporters and Ted Cruz supporters and less politically extreme people gasping when you say that 100,000 number as a cost of U.S. leadership um, or as the ante for U.S. leadership, gasping and saying you're talking about letting in people, if even a small percentage of them turn out to be ISIS people masquerading as refugees, you're going to create Belgium-like cells all over the United States. So let me ask you two questions. The first is, What's the actual history of infiltration of the refugee program by radical groups? And second, um, of radicalization of refugees either before they come here or after they get here? Um, Well, the United States,
0: you know, because of the kind of country that we are. Um because we are a, a country of immigrants, uh, because um, we are um, we are very diverse, increasingly diverse and 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 first uh, and second generation or um, um uh, first generation Americans um, you know uh, quickly become much more assimilated than in other parts of the world. Um, we have not experienced um, that that degree of alienation um, that uh, that has um, uh, you know that our european uh, f- uh friends and uh, you know have uh, you know have been have been challenged by um, and um, so i think our experience really is in many ways a model for um, the rest of the world and i, I don't want to suggest that um, that there aren't any challenges but the future of the united states is um, an increase, it, 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 you know, uh, and our path is really laid out ahead of us. We will, in a number of decades, become, um, a majority, uh, minority, uh, country. Um, our, our, we are, our diversity is increasing, uh, dramatically, uh, and rapidly. And, um, so, um, you know, we have not only the opportunity, uh, to continue to demonstrate, um, how we, um, we are inclusive and how people come to our country and become american but i I think we have no choice um because that is our future now um you know there there i i i can't say that there have been no uh um, 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 resettled refugees who have been um you know who have who 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 have um, um, been of concern to um, our security um, uh, um, uh, agencies. But the numbers relative to the, to the numbers of people who have come into the United States are tiny. And, um, and, and the numbers of people who have been um, um, accused of and prosecuted for, 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 for criminal activity is infinitesimal. And, um, and, and I think those numbers are really only relevant if you look at them Against um, similar numbers for
2: immigrants generally. So, what's the? I'm trying to try to. And, about, and, and, and
0: again, and again, you know, you 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 have to weigh, um, you know, those challenges against the enormous benefits uh, to our country. In terms of um, um, what our tradition of immigration has represented in terms of the strength and vibrancy of our society, but also in terms of what it represents with respect to our leadership in the world and our leadership. With leadership comes responsibility, but as we all know, with leadership also comes some very serious benefits. Uh, to um you know to our nation and our people and and and, and, and to me that 's the context in which you have to look at all these issues
2: so what you 're describing though is pretty diametrically opposed to the political climate of the country right now right. so you the president has said he'll you know he wants to take an extra ten thousand, and that 's highly controversial um so, the marginal ninety thousand that you're talking about is far you know is marginal above and beyond what the administration, which is philosophically sympathetic to your point of view, actually thinks is politically possible for it to get done. Um, talk about the politics of it How do, how do you convince people that um, that this is not just importing the problems of the Middle East in, into their neighborhoods. Yeah.
0: Um, well, first, you know, I, I have to, um, you know, I, I, I think the, the political challenges are significant and substantial, right? And um, and, um, but I think um, the national interest benefits of uh, sustaining uh, these approaches are. Uh, to my mind, um, significant and substantial, um, and um, and and critically important. And so, if that's if that's the perspective from which uh, somebody is coming, then th- there is a real challenge in how do you communicate that effectively. Um, and um, and and how do you demonstrate exercise the leadership on this issue um, in the domestic political environment and I think it 's very difficult. I think part of it is much more aggressively uh, working uh, with local communities who have you know who have welcomed these refugees. Who have seen the benefits of engagement with these communities? Um, I think you know there are refugee, there are resettled refugees in each of our fifty states, and um, and our system uh, of refugee resettlement guarantees that local communities become the agents of this kind of inclusion. And in most, in in the overwhelming majority of cases, um, communities benefit by um, um, by bringing in um, new arrivals here in Minnesota. Um, we're talking uh, to officials um, uh, about um, refugee resettlement uh to uh um, to address a whole range of of of, of issues including uh labor shortages um, th- that um, you know that um, you know that 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 do exist and will con- and will grow uh in this state and um and so there 's a real openness and an appetite for engaging on these issues and I think we need to hear more from those voices um, than we 've had when we than we have had than, than we have heard to date and um and I think there 's a role for um, the president and the national political leadership in um, in speaking in, in not only bringing these groups together but also speaking out. Um, on behalf of these principles. But I don't look—I don't underestimate the political challenge, but just because it's a significant political challenge doesn't mean it
2: shouldn't be engaged. If you had to change one thing systemically about the U.S. refugee program, um, what would it be?
0: Oh, um, well, there are a few things I would change. <laughs> um, and I tried to, uh, you know, and I worked on some of these issues when I was in the job. Although, let me just uh, let me just give a shout out to the people who work on refugee resettlement and refugee admissions issues in the U.S. government and on international humanitarian issues in the U.S. government. I mean, you know, um, the United States, in terms of our engagement overseas, uh, we're pretty unique, for better or worse. Um, values um, play a significant role uh in um, in the debate on foreign policy um, and in the execution of foreign policy and and sometimes um, um, that can ha- that can have you know that can have all kinds of effects but on balance I'd much prefer, uh, to be trying to make foreign policy, uh, for a country in which, um, values are playing a role in foreign policy decisions than, um, one in which, um, um, they were absent. And I, and I give enormous credit to the people in government in the, in the, in the, in the in the, in, the Bureau, in the, in the Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration and USAID and elsewhere who are working on these issues. So having said that, you know, I think there are a couple of things I would do. Uh, one is, I would, um, um, I think we've done pretty well in terms of the, the level of assistance. Our program, uh, our program, the U.S. refugee program, is one that 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 emphasizes self sufficiency upon arrival, and and you know it's not a it's not a gold plated refugee <laughs> resettlement program, and you, and you can you can verify that by talking to any refugee in the United States. Um, people really do have to make it on their own when they get here, and they largely do. But having said that, I, and I still think there is more we can do to assist incoming refugees once they're here. I think at the State Department, we addressed a lot of these resource needs during my tenure, and I think the initial assistance that we provide to people, um, you know, it, there, there could always be more, but I think we're doing a reasonable job there. But I think that in the first many months after arrival, where a lot of the assistance programs transfer to the Department of Health and Human Services, Office of Refugee Resettlement and the states and localities. I think there's more the federal government can do at a modest um, uh, commitment of resources to ease the transition uh, for refugees over the first year, two or three after their arrival. And I'm not talking about you know a gold-plated. Um, a program but a program that gives them a bit better of a capacity to make it on their own right because people need a, a, a bit more of a helping hand so that would be one area i would take aim at um, uh, in the program and the second and this is the one that we've been kind of alluding to during this conversation is um, we need to figure out a better way to do rescue uh, in um, in in situations like the ones we confront in syria understanding that on, in the current Security climate—we're um, not e- able easily to bring, you know, tens of thousands of conflict victims directly into the United States in very short order. And so, if that's the if that's the reality, the question is: How can we, through our refugee resettlement program, at least begin to think about ways uh, to to do better with respect to rescue? And, and the and one idea that I've had about this is that um, you know we could perhaps w- be working with friendly governments um, um, uh, uh, that are serving as safe havens and, and identifying and, and, and identify um, populations um, within those countries, populations of refugees whom we are committed to processing over time um, um, in, in ex- but in exchange for some sort of um, uh, agreement on the part of those, uh, countries of safe haven to, um, uh, to provide such safe haven for some limited period of time while we go through our processing. But we need to do better on this issue of, of rescue than, than, we've been, than, than we've been able to do in recent years.
2: Eric Schwartz, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Ben.
1: The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always, we need you to spread the word to promote the Lawfare Podcast. Tweet about it. Share it on Facebook. Instagram pictures of yourself listening to the Lawfare Podcast. Do whatever you need to do. And as always, thanks for listening.